There's only two, only two weeks left in um, the best sermon ever, which we know is not Adam's, if you haven't figured that out in the last eight to ten weeks, but it is Jesus' words that provide us with the best sermon ever. He is the best teacher ever. He is the best preacher ever. And he knows what he's saying. And there's only two weeks left, including today, so let us pay close attention to what Jesus would say before we leave this text. And what he has taught us so far is this, for example, salt and light, right? You are the salt and light of the world. Be a city on a hill. He's taught us that it's not just about our actions, but our thoughts. When he says things you have heard it said, do not murder. But I say, if you have any contempt for your brother, you have murdered. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, if you look on any woman lustfully, you have committed adultery. He's taught us how to pray. We saw the Lord's Prayer. He taught us how to fast and said, you look, when, when you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. Don't walk around and have your resting fasting face, right? We, we talked about that. Don't look like you're having a miserable time when you're fasting. He's taught us to look to the birds, to not judge. God will provide in all of our provision. And today, Jesus is going to extend an invitation to you and to me that as he's talked about all these many things, he's going to invite you into this realm of do you actually know me? Do you actually know me? To put all these things into practice, and Lord knows it's, it's not always easy to look to the birds. It's not always easy to not judge. It's not always easy to not speak um, uh, bad things over a fellow brother or sister it's not easy and yet here's what jesus says in matthew chapter 7 and and maybe the answer is well of course it's not easy and so here's my invitation to you adam here's my invitation to you citizens church it'll be on the screen enter through the narrow gate matthew 7 starting in verse 13 enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction and there are many who go through it. But in contrast, how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. You know, as I was studying this passage, I was reminded of um, every fall I take a fishing trip to the Outer Banks. And there's, before a hurricane destroyed it, there was a small strip of beach that you could drive on to get to what they call the point. Literally the point of North Carolina. And... You had to watch the tides because as the tide would go out, more beach is there. And as the tide would come in, literally, like, you, you might not be able to get back. And the whole time that you're out there, I mean, you're literally, like, it's, it's, it's the width of a vehicle. And so to your left, you see the ocean, and, and to your right is nothing but dunes. So you can't go right. You don't want to go left. And I remember one year we were out there, we came back, and there was one Tacoma, very nice truck, that the sand had given out, and they had flipped literally into the ocean. And you talk about a bad fishing experience. Like, you didn't just catch fish. You literally flipped your truck into the water. And I was thinking about, man, such a narrow road. And they say, you know, like, if, if you're not comfortable driving in this, don't. Like, obviously, the sand gave out here, so it is sort of dangerous. But to get to the best fishing spots, you have to take the narrow road. Fishing is good everywhere else. But if you want to get to some deep water where literally two currents collide and, 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 and people are lined up uh, shoulder to shoulder with their rod 
catching huge fish, then you have to traverse literally a narrow road. And Jesus, in the same way this morning, is saying, enter through the narrow gate. Drive on the narrow road. He is giving us direction. And any time that the God of the universe, who we would confess Jesus to be, any time the God of the universe is giving you direction, hear it as grace. It is grace that the God of the universe tells you that you have options. It is grace that the God of the universe would say, I invite you to not take the more broad, easy way, but no, 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 no. I invite you to come through the narrow gate. And what is Jesus saying here? Let's not mince any words. Jesus is saying, I am exclusive. I mean, heck, let's jump to John 10. It'll be on the screen. This is what, John, what Jesus says literally about the gate. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will come in, and he will go out, and he will find pasture. John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. What is Jesus saying? That true life is only found in Jesus. Jesus is not mincing words here. The gate is salvation, and Jesus is saying, I am the gate. The way is narrow. The way that leads to life is narrow, and I am the way. Literally, Jesus is telling his followers, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, and true life can only be found in Jesus. But the question is, how do we get to the gate? Because this is a fundamental question for you and for me. And maybe this whole Jesus thing is new to you. Maybe you're, you're not sure what you believe in, and we welcome that here. But no matter where you find yourself today, it is a fundamental question. And Jesus is making an exclusive claim. You see, it's not just Jesus' followers who think we're the only way to, 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 to heaven. It's Jesus himself. Don't get mad at Adam. Jesus himself is saying there is no other God besides me. There is no other way to God besides me. I mean, he actually says in verse 14, just look back down at it, it won't be on the screen, but this is what it says, how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. Jesus, how exclusive are you being? I mean, thanks for the invitation, how narrow the road and few find it. I thought you were the God that died for the entire world. Jesus, are you, are you saying that only a few will enter? How exclusive of you. And many times, and especially in today's culture, We view faith, we view religion, we view whatever you want to call it as different sides of the same apple. It sounds really good to say we're all traversing the same mountain, just taking different paths. That sounds really, really good. It sounds really good to say all religions are basically the same. And I would agree with you, except when it comes to beliefs on God, salvation, death, and heaven. All religions are basically the same except when it comes to all the major doctrines of each religion. It would actually be offensive and ignorant to state that all the religions are the same, and anyone who actually studies the religions would, would never claim that they're the same. I mean, the eightfold path in Buddhism is, is, is really different than the, the five pillars of Islam. And the triune God of Christianity that we say there is one God in three persons is way different than the 330 million gods that Hinduism has. 
Nirvana is not heaven. New Ageism would say just escape reality and your mind will become free. That's a lot different than what Jesus is saying here. No one would say all religions are the same. Because it's not the same God, it's not the same destination, and you don't get there the same way. So Jesus, why are you being so exclusive? What makes Jesus different? That is a fundamental question. Spoiler alert. The confession and belief of this church is that all religions are not the same. There is one God. There are not many gods. There is one God. And so what makes Jesus different? Because he talks about this, and in the same vein, he says, the gate is hard to access, and few find it. Jesus, if you were so different, and I would say Jesus is different because he actually offers life. All other religions say work, and maybe it'll happen, right? We, we, we look at, at, at Buddhism, and it's all about karma. So just do good things here, and then in the next life, you will have a good life. See, Christianity is so different than all other religions of the world. So why is it that few find it? What makes it so hard? Well, listen to the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer lived during World War II. He was actually, um, he was actually killed by, by, in a concentration camp by the Nazi army. Um, he was part of a plan to overthrow Hitler. And Bonhoeffer had seen some things, and this is what he wrote in his commentary on Sermon on the Mount. And, th and this book right here has been such a help. So if you're looking to go deeper, the, the, the cost of discipleship and Bonhoeffer's words on the Sermon on the Mount have been so helpful. This is what he says. With this question in mind of why is the road narrow and difficult to find if it leads to life? And this is what he says, just listen to it. To be called to a life of extraordinary quality... To live up to it and yet to be unconscious of its indeed the narrow way. To confess and testify to the truth as it is in Jesus. And at the same time to love the enemies of that truth, his enemies and ours. And to love them with the infinite love of Jesus Christ is indeed the narrow way. To believe that the promise of Jesus and his followers shall possess the earth. And at the same time face our enemies unarmed and defenseless, preferring to incur Injustice rather than to do wrong ourselves, it is indeed the narrow way. To see the weakness and wrong in others, and at the same time refrain from judging them, to deliver the gospel message without casting pearls before swine, is indeed the narrow way. The way is unutterably hard, and at every moment we are in danger of straying from it. If we regard this way as one we follow in obedience to an external command, if we are afraid of it ourselves at all the time, it is indeed an impossible way. And then this is what he says. But if we behold Jesus Christ going step by step, we shall not go astray. Why is it hard? What does Jesus mean when he says this road is narrow, it is hard, and few find it? Because Christianity is the only religion that says trust God in everything that he has done to save you. It's so difficult because it's much easier for you and I to work to get to God than it is to trust that he has done everything necessary to get to us. We could say it like this. We do not work to get to God. God has come to us. Why is the road so difficult? Because it's much more easy for me to just rely in, in my church attendance and in my Bible reading and in my scripture memorization and all the things that I think pleases God. It's a lot easier to trust in those things. Just like every other religion in the world that tells you to do good things over your bad things. Make a pilgrimage to this spot. Enlighten your mind. Crucify your passions. Literally beat your passions out of you. And you will maybe please God. 
Yet Christianity is so difficult. Because in no other aspect of our world do we say we have offended someone, yet they love us immensely. Every other relationship in our world is transactional. It just is. If you offend me, maybe I will still treat you with kindness in that moment, but there's a good chance I won't until I cool down and I like you again. And yet Christianity says that God has done all the work to get to you. You need not to let him cool down before you pray to him. You don't have to clean yourselves up and break your own chains and, and, and clean up your addictions and, and, and then God will accept you. No, 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 no. Christianity makes this exclusive claim that God has done everything necessary to come to you through the person of Jesus. That you would not die on a cross for your sins, but that Jesus would die on the cross for your sins. That you would not be buried in a grave, but that Jesus would. And because Jesus is resurrected, one day you will resurrect too. So difficult. It's so hard to not work. Because God, I believe that certainly you, you might love me, but you don't like me. And if I can just do a little bit more to get closer to you, maybe that will bode better for me. I remember one of the hardest, hardest things I've ever done in my life physically. We were in Guatemala. Emily was there, my wife. And um, one day while we were in the village, Cayetano, who is a, a, a corn farmer, um, he took us to his field. Now, the thing about this is, like, there's, there's not many. We're in the jungles of Guatemala, and so we had to go during a specific time because, obviously, we're not Guatemalan, and this, this land has been there for, for years and years and years. It's not a tourist attraction. And so Cayetano takes us to, it's probably a mile and a half trip through the mountains to his cornfield, and most of it was downhill. So once we get to his field where there's lower elevation, um, we're looking around and he's showing me like how he puts the seed in the ground and, and talking about harvest and all this stuff. And then they, before we head back, they're like, hey, we're going to take some firewood back. Now, there's a law there that you cannot cut wood from any place that you do not own. And so Cayetano in the village that he lives, he does not own that piece of property. So he can't cut trees down. He can't cut firewood. But he owns the field. And so that's where you can take firewood. And I kid you not, I thought I was going to die on that mountain. Like, when we think of firewood, we think of, like, a little bundle. I mean, if you have to cook your food, stay warm, and do everything by fire, you're not going to bring just a little, like, nugget that you throw in the fire and light, right? Like, they're bringing logs. And I'm talking about Cayetano's wife. is a 55-year-old woman who has two huge logs up on her, sh like, no joke. And so there's a group of us that are taking logs, and I just left Emily. I had to. I was going to, I was like, I, I, I got to get back. There was like four of us or six of us from New City, the church in Raleigh, and I thought I was going to. Everybody got back, and you could have not paid us to go back. If this family's life depended on it, I don't think I would have gone back for firewood. No joke. They had this dog. Um, man, what was that dog's name? Uh, like Pete or something like that? Uh, they had this little, little dog, and luckily this dog knew how to get back home. I am not kidding. He was my saving grace because as I left the group, I was like, I just, I just got to get it done faster. This dog led me all the way back to Cayetano's house. It was so awesome. Um, I can't remember that dog's name. Um, but shout out to you if you're listening, that dog. Um, and it was so difficult carrying that firewood. I mean, we were basically carrying trees. Like, firewood, no, it was like fire logs. Like, it was so so difficult to traverse that mountain 
with the logs on my shoulders, thinking, I think I go this way, I'm, I'm, I'm following this little dog that, you know, it was so difficult. But you know how harder it is to carry the weight of your soul doing the same thing? You see, it sounds real good that we're all traversing a, the same mountain just with different paths until we realize, holy cow, but I have to carry my thought life, what I actually do, my anger, my pride, my addictions. Someone in my family was just diagnosed with this disease. Now, I, that's on my shoulders. You know how much harder it is to carry the weight of your soul? Especially if you believe that you're just traversing a path and maybe you'll get to the top. You know how upset I would have been if I went to the wrong house? And it was like, all oh, the house is on the other side of the mountain. I'd be like, well, it's their wood now. <laughs> Leave me. And while it sounds real good that all religions are just leading us to the same place, what if that's not true? Like, if it's true that <laughs> they don't agree in deity, heaven, how to get there, what you need to do, like, if, if, if that's true with no argument, what if all religions are not the same and all religions are not true? And what if the weight of your soul is actually too heavy for you to handle and so you need someone to handle it for you? We do not work to get to God. God has come to us. And with this in mind, this is what Jesus says next. In Matthew chapter 7, looking at verse 15, let's look back down at it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So, you'll recognize them by their fruit. False prophets and fruit, fruit trees. I don't normally do like uh, sermon titles, but if I did, that's what the title of this sermon would be. False prophets and fruit trees. And what do they have in common? See, Jesus is very plain in his language here. What do fruit trees and false prophets have in common here? The source of who or what they really are comes from the inside. You see, as Jesus speaks to this culture, the agricultural metaphor rings true. You see, I know nothing about farming or gardening or, you know, agriculture or any of that stuff. So this, this metaphor is sometimes lost. I get what he's saying, but I'm like, I, I don't know. Do you gather grapes from thistles? I, maybe. But in this context and who Jesus is talking about, the question, do we gather grapes from thistles? The answer would be absolutely not. That, that's not how this works. And clearly, and we, we all understand this, a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. To do so would contradict the laws of nature. I mean, if you have a dead tree, nothing's going to grow from it. And if you have a tree that is alive and it is doing well, and, and all of a sudden it just withers in one day, you'd be like, what? what in the world happened? Like, this is contradicting to the laws of nature, and so it is with us. You see, many times we think, once again, traversing this mountain, if we can continue with that language... That if we can just get to God, get close enough to God, then maybe, maybe, maybe something will change 
within us. And as Jesus is talking about fruit trees, and as Jesus is talking about false prophets, Jesus is clear that what the problem is with both of those things is inside of them. And so it it is with us, we could say it like this, that Jesus isn't after your outward performance. Jesus is after your heart. Jesus is after your heart. The ugliest pieces about you, that's what Jesus is after. The darkest parts of your soul, that's where Jesus looks to redeem. At your core, who you truly are, that's what we mean by your heart. Who you truly are, all the things that spring forth, your words, your thoughts, your actions, That's what Jesus is after. And if Jesus, who is the God of the universe, is after your heart and not your religious duties, then he has to be different than all other deities. Surely this man is different. Surely this man who is giving us this sermon is different. A bad tree cannot produce good fruit. What is inside will come out. And as Jesus is talking about fruit, I, I wanted to use this as an illustration. Uh, I love limes, by the way. It's like one of my favorite fruits, and I love the flavor. And you know what's true about a lime? A lime, if you cut it and you squeeze it, let's see. What kind of juice is this? Now, that, that's, that's funny, and, and congrats. You know, I, I heard, yeah, d- give you a little fist bump. Y'all knew it was lime juice. How did you know it was going to be lime juice? Because it's a lime. So you're telling me that you didn't expect orange juice from a lime. Like, I didn't cut this thinking, okay, smells like a lime. I'm not going to drink it because last time I did that on stage, it was salt water and it was awful. Probably tastes like a lime. And so in the same way that we expect, when I cut this lime, lime juice is going to come out. When you are cut and when you are squeezed, what comes out of you? Like when you're angry, when you're happy, when you're prideful, when you're scared, when life comes and shakes you up, what comes out of you? Because now Jesus will give us a stark warning. If you were a lime, lime juice is going to come out. We don't expect orange juice from a lime. And if you were in here and you claim Jesus, what comes out of you? Now, maybe you think, well, that analogy is is messed up because we're not perfect. And that's true. There's some times where you shake me and, and goodness, and I think kindness comes out. There's other times, and it's like, holy cow, have you ever heard of the name Jesus? And that's true. But remember, Jesus is after our core. So at the core of your heart, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are no longer that angry, tired person. The Bible would call you a son and a daughter of an everlasting kingdom. You are a saint. Your heart is now flesh, not stone. And so while you may be shaken sometimes and some things come out that you don't love, (laughs) 
if you are claiming Jesus and you have been changed by Jesus, then when you are squeezed, only what is natural will come out. And Jesus is saying, this is what I've been talking about. How do you love your neighbor? How, how do you love your enemy? I mean, that's like, uh, do not judge. Oh, that's a little bit more. Um, let's see, what else did he say? Look to the birds, not yourself. Uh, Jesus, I don't know if I can do that. Don't even look lustfully after a woman. I, I don't know if I can do that. But when we are squeezed, what comes out of us is actually what's inside of us. And as we close this sermon today, in these last two verses, Jesus is going to, man, he, he's, and I, and I keep saying this, but it's so true. He's so wise in what he says. He is the best preacher. So everything he says is good. Everything he says is true. Everything he says is wise. And here Jesus, as a loving father, gives you and I the hard truth. And here's what he says in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't we do many miracles in your name? Didn't we plant churches in your name? Didn't I pastor in your name? Didn't we feed the sick in your name? Didn't I go to that blood drive in your name? Didn't I show up on Sunday mornings in your name? Didn't I serve at Citizens in your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. The Sermon on the Mount culminates to this question. Do you know him? Do you? you know him this is the essence of everything that jesus has said this is an exclusive question for an exclusive god to actually obtain the kingdom of god on that day many will say to me did we not do many good things in your name did we not feed my neighbor? Did we not take food when her husband died? Did I not come to church enough to die? Sir, I gave, I gave 12%. Did I not do enough? Jesus, I traversed the mountain. I did the best I could. And yet if our answer is anything other than I know him, Jesus says, depart from me. If your answer on that day is anything other than, what, you know, it, it, and I don't believe it happens like this, but everybody talks about when we get to heaven, right, if, and they ask you, why should I let you in, and, and what would your answer be? If your answer is anything other than, I know him, I know the man on the cross, you're wrong. And Jesus is telling us this in grace, because as he offers the invitation for you to know him, only a loving God would say, and here's how. You see, it would be a sick joke to say, well, you must know me, but there's no roadmap. You must know me, Adam, but I'm not going to tell you if it's about you or about me or who you, like, no. Do you know me? And that's a question that we all have to ask today. Why is the narrow road hard? Because the narrow road that leads to life 
is all about trusting that Jesus is doing everything and has done everything necessary to save your soul. The narrow road is hard because it doesn't matter <laughs> your church attendance anymore. It doesn't matter how well you do at your job or in your family. It's not about how, how, how Christian you look to this culture. It's not about how loud your Facebook are against this or that. Like it, it's, it's not about any of that anymore. It's all about knowing Jesus. That's why the narrow road is, is narrow and few will find it. But listen, and this is our, our, our point for today, our sermon in a sentence. That the invitation to the narrow road is the invitation to life. The invitation to the narrow road is not just an invitation to struggle, heartache, and harder days ahead. Even though I think it is. Jesus will do much more in your weakness than he will in your strength. Jesus will use you so much more when you get to the point that you're like, I'm going to die without you. He's not after your performance. He's not after your help. I said this a few weeks ago. Jesus is not your co-pilot. He's here to take over. This isn't a, hey, Jesus, you take the lead and I'll help you. No, 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 Adam, I don't need your help. This is a takeover. And the invitation to the narrow road is the invitation to life because Jesus invites you on the narrow road because he invites you to know him. Don't take the road that is easy. And I don't say this as your pastor, but I do say this as your friend. Give more. Serve more. Be here more. Not so Jesus will love you, but because we want to take this narrow road. The narrow road is what leads to life. We want people to meet Jesus and grow in a relationship with him. The narrow road is hard when it's easier to sleep in on Sunday mornings. But who knows who's sitting beside me that might actually need my words of life over them. The narrow road is narrow. It's not a four-lane highway. But the narrow road leads to life. And today our question is, do you know him? Have you traversed and are you starting on this narrow road where it's like, Jesus, I don't know exactly what all this looks like. In many days, Jesus, I don't know if you're actually going to get me to where I need to go. But I'm trusting you because I know you. And if we know him, then we can trust him. So the question today is, do you know him? When you're squeezed, what comes out? And if it's never Jesus, I think Jesus is extending an invitation to you. And maybe you do know Jesus, but you also realize that, hey, man, when I've been squeezed lately, I've been a real jerk. Then Jesus is offering an invitation to you as well. <laughs> do you know him? And so if that's you this morning and, and, and you recognize, I, I don't know him. I don't know him. Then me and Emily will be on the front row. We would love to, to pray for you. We would love to talk to you about what that could look like for you to know him. We actually want you to know him. Not just know about him, but know him. And if that's you this morning, man, we're, we're praying for you. We're praying that you would take your steps in, in doing that. 
Maybe there's something else in your life where you realize, no, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I, 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 the narrow road is not attractive. I've been trying to kind of get myself on the broader road because it's easier. Man, I don't know what you're going through. I, I, I don't. But we would love to pray for you. So whatever your next moment is with God, we would love that you would take it as Nathan comes back up and leads us in one more song. Do you know him? Many on that day, Lord, Lord, did I not do all these things in your name? God, I traversed the mountain the best that I could. He's going to say, but I never knew you. So our prayer at Citizens is that you would know him. Above all else, that you would know him.